Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Lessons from the world's top professors. Anytime, anyplace. World history examined and science explained. This is One Day University. Welcome. And we're back on the untold history of sports in America. I'm your host, Mike Coscarelli. Last time, we talked about sport and Jim Crow. How racist ideology poured into early American professional sports. Today... We expand that conversation to America's first black heavyweight champion, Jack Johnson, and his never-ending fight against the Great White Hope. You'll get an idea of how Johnson was treated after winning the title and some of the measures white America was willing to take to assert that treatment. Will it surprise you? Probably not. Here's Matt. We're going to continue our discussion about sport and race. So we're going to continue our exploration of how racial anxieties affected American sports at the turn of the 20th century. And I'm going to tell you one story today, the incredible and shattering story of the 1910 heavyweight boxing match between a black man named Jack Johnson and a white man named Jim Jeffries. And this fight is, in in my mind, the single most significant sporting event in all of American history. And I say that because of all of the racial drama surrounding this fight. And I say that because of all the people who were murdered when this fight was over. All right. The last time we were discussing boxing, the manly art... I ended with the idea that boxing had exploded in popularity at the end of the 19th century. And boxing was especially popular in this country with white American men. And one of the reasons is that the sport told them something that they wanted to believe. It told white men that they were the best. They were the strongest and most courageous people on earth. And the proof, they said, was that the heavyweight champion of the world was white. Always had been. You know, in American sports, in American culture, the heavyweight champion, he, he stands at the pinnacle of masculinity. You know, he's, he's held up as the toughest person on the planet. 
and he was always a white man. Now, there were some fantastic white fighters, but one of the reasons the heavyweight champion was always white was that the white heavyweight champions, they refused to fight black challengers. They never let black men fight for the heavyweight championship. I told you how even the great John L. Sullivan, he drew the color line. That's what it's called, drawing the color line. He did this as champion. He drew the color line and refused to fight black fighters. The same was true with Jim Corbett. Corbett defeated John L. Sullivan in 1892. And once he was champion, he drew the color line and refused to fight black boxers as well. The next great heavyweight champion, and he was also white, was Jim Jeffries. And Jim Jeffries is one of our two main characters today. All right, Jeffries was six foot three. He weighed 225 pounds, which is big today, but very big for 100 years ago. His nicknames were the Grizzly Bear. In fact, he kept a chained grizzly bear as a pet. Uh, some people called him the Boilermaker because he reminded people of a massive train engine. Jeffries was an immense, rock-solid man, and he was heavyweight champion from 1899 to 1905, and he never lost a professional fight, not once. But he also did not fight black challengers. Jeffries said that black boxers, he said they're inferior fighters. He said black men have a well-known weakness in the stomach that made them easy to knock out. He said they possess a yellow streak. They were cowards. And if given the chance to fight for the title, they likely would not even show up. You know, so just as so many Americans believe that African-Americans, that black Americans were inferior to white Americans in general, white boxers like Jeffries, they repeated the lines that black boxers were mentally and physically inferior as well. So in 1905, with no one left to fight, or so he said, Jim Jeffries walked away from boxing undefeated and he retired to his alfalfa farm in California. But he'll be back. Into this segregated boxing scene came Jack Johnson. Jack Johnson was born in Galveston, Texas in 1878. He was born to parents who had once been enslaved. And he took up boxing, and he was good at it, but he, he lived a hard early life. It was the, the typical life of the boxer, you know, traveling from city to city, looking for a fight, a little money. But as a black man, Johnson's life was different from most other boxers. It was harder to find fights. And when he did find fights, at least early on, it was often in something that are called battle royales. Um, a, a battle royale is a derisive form of athletic entertainment in which white promoters, they would put 10 to 12 black fighters in a ring, sometimes blindfold them, sometimes ply them with alcohol and have them brawl until only one was left standing. And all the while, the white audience would hoot and holler at the chaotic mayhem inside of the ring. These things didn't happen too often, but they did occur. Now, I assume Jack Johnson did well in these battle royales because his strength and his skill, they are undeniable. He was a real student of boxing. And once Jack Johnson developed his trademark defensive style of fighting, 
he became a top contender for the heavyweight title. But, of course, there's one problem for a black man who wants to be heavyweight champion of the world. White champions refused to fight black challengers. They just did not give them a shot. And the white champions especially did not want to give a man like Jack Johnson a shot at the title. For Jack Johnson was not just a black fighter. Jack Johnson offended white Americans. Jack Johnson was bold. He was brash. You know, from the perspective of many white Americans, Jack Johnson was a transgressive black man. Both inside the boxing ring and out, Jack Johnson's every move was a challenge to the ideology of white supremacy in the United States. Inside the ring, Jack Johnson didn't just defeat his white opponents. He mocked them. He taunted them. You know, here's how I see it. It's as if whenever Jack Johnson entered the ring, he was trying to take revenge on his white opponents for the 300 years of abuse that black Americans had endured in this country. Well, white Americans considered Jack Johnson a problem outside of the ring as well. Jack Johnson displayed his growing wealth in ways that black men just were not supposed to do back then. He he wore expensive suits and diamond jewelry. Uh, he drove fancy and expensive cars, and he drove these cars fast. There's a great story about Jack Johnson. He, he was in San Francisco driving one of his cars, and he was stopped by a white police officer for speeding and told he had to pay a $5 fine. Jack Johnson gave him $10 and said, I'm coming back the same way. The point being, white authorities, we might say the white power structure, it did not intimidate Jack Johnson. All right, all that said, by far, and I mean by far, Johnson's greatest social transgression were his relationships with white women. Jack Johnson openly associated with white prostitutes. Jack Johnson was married three times. All three of his wives were white. This open interracial sexuality just was not done in this country 110 years ago. You know, there were ministers in the South, ministers, so-called men of God, who gave sermons in which they called for Jack Johnson to be kidnapped from his home up in Chicago brought to the South, and executed. All right. From the perspective of most white Americans, all of these personality traits of Jack Johnson, okay, they were problematic, but they were not a gargantuan problem as long as Jack Johnson never got the opportunity to fight for the heavyweight title. But Jack Johnson was persistent, and he got his chance in 1908. In 1908, with Jim Jeffries retired now for three years, the new heavyweight champion was a white Canadian named Tommy Burns. And at first, Burns refused to fight Johnson. But Jack Johnson stalked Tommy Burns. You know, wherever Tommy Burns went, the United States, Europe, Australia, there was Jack Johnson, you know, calling him a coward, calling Burns yellow. And eventually, Burns was goaded into the fight, or, or a little more accurately, he was lured into the fight by the promise of a big payday. The fight took place in Sydney, Australia, 
on December 26, 1908, Boxing Day, although that means something else. Most of the boxing experts, they believed that Tommy Burns, the white man, would win. I mean, after all, Burns was white. As they saw it, he was the dominant representative of the dominant race. But the experts were wrong. I mean, Jack Johnson was a much bigger, much stronger, and far superior fighter. He he toyed with Tommy Burns, finally knocking Burns out in the 14th round. So now here we are. December 26th, 1908, the heavyweight champion of the world is a black man. I'm guessing many of you know who Jack London is. London was an American author. He wrote those classics like White Fang and The Call of the Wild. You know, These are books that on their surface seem to be about dogs, but they are really about men and masculinity, about manhood and race. Jack London was also a boxing writer. And in fact, he was at that fight in Australia. He was sitting ringside reporting for the New York Herald. And here's how he ended the column that he wrote that day about the fight. But one thing now remains. Jim Jeffries must now emerge from his alfalfa farm and remove that golden smile from Jack Johnson's face. Jeff, and that means Jeffries, Jeff It's up to you. The white man must be rescued. After the break, Jim Jeffries comes out of retirement for the greatest sporting event in American history. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. When Dr. Sabah and I decided to do a skincare line together, he said to me, we are going to give women meaningful beauty. And I said, that's exactly right. We want to give women meaningful beauty, which means each and every product is meaningful. It has a a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful beauty. Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's list is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Got to get it fixed. I don't have time and I'm not good at it. Angie is. In just a few taps, in the Angie app or clicks on the site. You can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. Renters, you can use Angie too for moving, installations, or cleaning. 
Angie can even help with extremely specific projects. Just tell them what you need, and Angie will find the right solution for you. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com, or download the app today. So, we've discussed this. Boxing is a very symbolic sport. The heavyweight champion of the world can, with some justification, claim to be the strongest, most skillful, most fit man on the planet. What does it say about the ideology of white supremacy when the heavyweight champion of the world is black? The undefeated Jim Jeffries had to come out of retirement, Jack London is saying, and put Jack Johnson in his place and regain that crown. But Jeffries didn't want to do it. Jeffries refused to fight. He was retired and content. You know, he had not fought since 1905 for three years. So other white boxers tried to beat Johnson. They were known collectively as great white hopes. And Jack Johnson, he beat them all one by one. There's, there's one fight of note that I want to mention. Uh, it, it took place in San Francisco. Jack Johnson against a white fighter named Stanley Ketchell. And this was in 1909. And Ketchell was a lot smaller than Johnson, but he was a ferocious brawler. Uh, the two of them were actually friends. They liked to carouse and visit saloons and brothels together. And for this fight, they made an agreement. The agreement was not to fight too hard in the early rounds. The idea was to prolong the fight so the fight film moving pictures of the film, they could make more money. This was an era when moving picture companies, they were beginning to film price fights to show American audiences. And the thought was that the more people would go to see the film if the fight was longer. You know, moviegoers would get more for their money. So the agreement was, let's go easy on each other in the early rounds and then start fighting in earnest later. But Stanley Ketchell strayed from the script. In one of the early rounds, when Johnson was just going through the motions, Ketchell snuck in a right cross and knocked Jack Johnson down. The almost all-white crowd in attendance, they rose to their feet and roared. And then Jack Johnson got to his feet. And I'm not making this up. You can find the grainy black and white film on, on YouTube. Jack Johnson got off the canvas and with one tremendous angry punch, he knocked Stanley Ketchell unconscious. And the punch was so powerful that Ketchell's front teeth were embedded in Jack Johnson's glove. Jack Johnson just calmly wiped the teeth away while the referee counted Ketchell out. There was film of this. There were photographs of this. Photographs of Jack Johnson standing over the limp, unconscious body of Stanley Ketchell. They were printed in newspapers around the country. And think of the revolutionary potential of these photographs. I mean, here was an awesome depiction of black male power. And this is why so many black Americans reveled in Jack Johnson's accomplishments in the ring. You know, boxing was providing an arena where a black man was allowed to compete with a white man on equal terms. Here was a space where a black man could strike at a white man without fear of murderous retribution. 
you know, in the context of the times, the, the racial symbolism of Jack Johnson, the the transgressive power of Jack Johnson is hard to overstate. But of course, moments and scenes like this, they, they heightened white anxiety. And so even more white Americans, they turned to Jim Jeffries, imploring him to return to the ring and defeat Jack Johnson. The man who finally convinced Jeffries to return is a guy named Tex Rickard. Tex Rickard was a sports promoter, a guy with big dreams, and he believed that boxing could be a big arena sport. He believed that massive amounts of money could be made on boxing, and he knew that right here, he had the racial drama that he needed to propel the sport into the stratosphere. Tex Rickard offered $100,000 to the fighters. The winner would get 75%, the loser 25%. At a time when the average industrial worker made $1 a day, I mean, this was a staggering, staggering sum of money. Jeffries agreed. He started training to get in shape. By some estimates, he had gained nearly 100 pounds since retirement. I mean, that weight needed to go, and it would go. Jeffries got fit. Rickard had wanted to hold the fight in San Francisco, which is actually a very big boxing town back then. But moral reformers who, who hated boxing to begin with, and especially interracial boxing, they used their influence to get the fight moved out of California. And so Tex Rickard said, fine. He moved the fight across the state border. He built a large wooden boxing arena in Reno, Nevada, the town that was sort of the Las Vegas uh, of its day, a town where Americans went to drink and gamble and get divorced. And the date was set, July 4th, 1910, Independence Day. It's Jim Jeffries, the great white hope against Jack Johnson the first black heavyweight champion. And I'm going to say it again. I think that this fight is the most significant sporting event in American history. And I say this because of the intense buildup to this fight. You know, the fight was seen as symbolizing a larger racial battle in the United States. And I say this because of what happened in the immediate aftermath of this fight. On the day of the contest, Massive crowds gathered throughout the United States, uh, eager to get telegraphed reports of the fight. Jeffries himself, he received thousands of telegrams wishing him luck. White Americans were imploring him to win the fight, to you know, restore racial order as they saw it. And let me say this, they expected Jim Jeffries to do this. Jeffries, the white fighter, he was the heavy betting favorite. Even though Jeffries had been out of the ring for almost five full years, most white Americans just assumed he would beat Johnson. Now, remember, Jim Jeffries had never lost a fight, so there were many who still considered him to be the real champion. Plus, as most white Americans saw it, I mean, Jeffries was the dominant representative of the dominant race. How could he lose? Well, the fight itself was an anticlimax. If one's idea of a great fight is one that is evenly matched, then the Johnson-Jeffries contest was anything but great. Jack Johnson not only defeated Jim Jeffries, 
he, he thrashed him. In the early rounds, Johnson, he, he just stayed away from Jeffries, that defensive style of his. And in every time Jeffries got close, Jack Johnson just wrapped his arm around Jeffries and hugged him. And Jeffries, you know, who was older, he'd been out of the ring for a while. He got tired. He, he got frustrated. He pummeled Jeffries with sharp jabs and devastating uppercuts. By the 15th round, Jeffries' nose was broken. His chest and his shorts, they were, they were soaked in his own blood. I mean, I'll say it again. Boxing is brutal. In the 15th round, it was this fight's last. Jack Johnson repeatedly knocked Jeffries to the canvas. And eventually, the men in Jeffries' corner, they threw in the towel, the, the, the sign that they were conceding defeat. The mostly white crowd just stood there in, in stunned silence. Their, their hopes, their, their great white hopes had been dashed. You know, racial anxieties and tensions were so high before this contest that on the morning of the fight, Jim Jeffries put out a statement in the newspapers saying that should Jack Johnson somehow win, Johnson should be allowed to leave the ring safely and, and unmolested. And Jack Johnson did leave the ring and Reno safely. But the story was very different for other Black Americans. As news of Johnson's victory spread throughout the United States, this nation convulsed. White Americans throughout the United States, they erupted in anger and, and frustration. And black men and women, they were attacked in St. Louis, in Omaha, New Orleans, Little Rock, Los Angeles. In Norfolk, Virginia, white sailors, they, they, they roamed the streets looking for black men to beat up. In New York City, a white mob set fire to a, to a black tenement building, and they blocked the doorway to prevent the occupants' escape. In rural Georgia, white gunmen opened fire on a construction camp housing black workers. Three black men were killed there. In Houston, a black man jumped onto a crowded streetcar and boasted of Jack Johnson's victory. A white passenger took out his knife and slashed open the black man's throat. No one knows for sure, but as many as 26 black men and women may have been killed by white mobs that day, and hundreds were assaulted and beaten. Jack Johnson's victory over Jim Jeffries in the boxing ring, it ignited the first national race riot in American history. You know, there would be others, like in 1968, when Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated, or uh, in 1992, when the Rodney King verdict was announced. And I, I suppose I'm defining race riot loosely here. I'm defining it as a violent uprising sparked by an incident that has to do with race. But think about that. The first nationwide race riot, where violence is happening all around the country at the same time. It occurred when white Americans unleashed their anger against black Americans because a black man had beat a white man in a boxing match. Well, unable to beat Jack Johnson in the ring, his enemies found another way to bring him down.
1912, the United States federal government, they went after Jack Johnson in court, charging him with violating a new law called the Mann Act. The Mann Act was a federal law designed to fight prostitution. It made it a federal crime to transport a woman across state lines for, quote unquote, immoral purposes. You know, in other words, you could not transport a prostitute across state lines. This, this law made prostitution a federal crime rather than just a state crime. Now, Jack Johnson had indeed traveled across a state line with a prostitute, but this prostitute was his girlfriend. It was not sex trafficking. They were on vacation. In fact, Jack Johnson later married that woman, but didn't matter. The federal government went after Jack Johnson. And by prosecuting Johnson for violating the Mann Act, it's clear, absolutely clear, that the goal was to punish Jack Johnson for his boxing successes and for daring to engage in romantic relationships with white women. Jack Johnson went on trial, he was convicted, and he was sentenced to a year in prison. And while his case was on appeal, he actually fled the country. Jack Johnson lived abroad, mostly in Europe, for seven years, and he continued to box. Uh, he eventually lost his heavyweight title in Havana, Cuba in 1915. He lost to a white American named Jess Willard. This was a grueling 26-round fight in a 100-degree-plus heat. But once the title was reclaimed by a white man, the white champions, once again, they drew the color line. It would be 22 years, not until 1937, before another black fighter is going to get the opportunity to fight for the heavyweight title. His name is Joe Lewis. As for Jack Johnson, he returned to the United States in 1920, surrendered to authorities, and he served one year in Leavenworth Prison. You know, one-on-one, -on -one, Jack Johnson could beat any white man alive but he couldn't beat them all. The, the white supremacists won. Jack Johnson died in Raleigh, North Carolina in 1946. He was driving through the South and he was refused service at a Raleigh roadside restaurant, um, you know, black skin, Jim Crow. Enraged, he hopped into his automobile and he sped away and he lost control of his car. He hit a telephone pole and he was killed. The remarkable story of Jack Johnson has a surprising postscript. In the early 2000s, two United States senators from opposite sides of the political aisle, it was the Arizona Republican John McCain and the Massachusetts Democrat Ted Kennedy, They're both of them big boxing fans, they co-sponsored a petition that was sent to the White House, first asking George W. Bush and then Barack Obama, to pardon Jack Johnson, to remove his 1912 conviction and exonerate him. And neither Bush nor Obama did this. And then all of a sudden, in the summer of 2018, President Donald Trump heard about the story of Jack Johnson. And it was the actor Sylvester Stallone, the man who famously played the boxer Rocky Balboa, he was the one who told Trump about Jack Johnson. And a few days later, with Stallone standing by his side, 
Donald Trump issued a presidential order officially pardoning Jack Johnson. And I'm going to end with this. I have to be honest. I did not see that coming. That's all for now. Next time on the Untold History of Sports in America, presented by One Day University, sports become a presence in everyday American life. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.